Let's pray together. Lord, we come and worship the Lord. We come recognizing that, Father, that you made us, you created us, that you are the creator of all things. We recognize that, as your word says in Hebrews 1, that it was through your Son that you created everything. And incredibly, even right at this very moment, Jesus, or the Son, is upholding the word or the universe by the word of his power. And so we come glorying in these truths. We glory in the truth that your Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen the deep, deep love of Jesus. And so help us this morning that we would exalt our Lord. We would exalt him by coming with our hearts laid bare before you, ready for you to change us and sanctify us. Or perhaps there are some here who don't know you to save And so we lay our hearts before you this morning. We pray that we would, indeed, you would help us to kiss the Son and wonder at him, see him as our portion in this life and the next, to see that there is nothing above him and there is nothing to be above him, that he would be the love of our hearts above anyone or anything in this world. And so we pray for that, Father. We pray that our hearts would be yours this morning. And in light of this, may we receive your word in our hearts, in our lives, and into all of our lives. And so help us, we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn with me to the letter of James this morning. We'll go ahead and we'll be looking this morning at James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, as we continue our study, walking through this letter. Now, $2 billion is an amount that I can say most, if not all of us, and pretty much none of us will ever see. It is an amount of money that is simply enormous, isn't it? Now, it is an enormous amount of money, and to have it would be one thing, right? I mean, you could do all variety of things with $2 billion. Perhaps we can't even fathom what we may do with that amount of money. And so it's one thing to have it. But it's another thing altogether to owe it. If you owed $2 billion. Now, if you owed someone $2 billion, 
I would imagine that you are desperate. <laughs> you are desperate that somehow, some way, something will intervene. Something will happen that this debt will be taken care of because you know there is absolutely no way in the world that you yourself are going to be able to pay it. Some miracle, someone, please help me with this massive debt. And so it would be then that what a mercy it would be if it wasn't just a hope, a pleading that you would have that someone out there would take care of this immense amount of debt that I can never pay. But what if it actually happened? Your $2 billion debt in one fell swoop is forgiven. All of it. And what would that be? Mercy. That's mercy. Well, it's no exaggeration to say that if you know Christ this morning, the debt he paid for you on your behalf was like that. A debt that you could and you can never, ever pay. Yet incredibly and graciously, mercifully, if you know Christ this morning, he did exactly that. Amen. All of it. Past, present, future, all of it forgiven. And that is undeserved. That is something that you are not going to be able to earn. It is unmerited. It is mercy. And so the hymn is right that we have saying, What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Or even as we just sang a moment ago, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Which is exactly what it is. And so we ought to rightly begin this morning in awe of the great and immense mercy of God and love of God towards undeserving people. Well, as we continue here in verses 8 through 13 of James, he looks again at partiality. And how does he look at it? Well, he looks at it through the lens of the gospel. And he looks at it through the lens of mercy. And so to see this, let's look together here at the word of the Lord this morning. May the Lord mercifully make clear his word to us, for us and for our lives. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So as you can see here, James is not finished with this topic. He has more to say here about partiality or if you would like to use the term favoritism. He has more to say about that this morning. And so as we saw last time in the previous verses, verses 1 through 7, partiality, what it does is it looks at others through worldly eyes. Something about another person, it is not informed by the Word of God. It's not informed by Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 being made in the image of God. It's not informed by the Imago Dei. It's not informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I think if you were to write out some of the most serious thin sins that we can think of, like if you weren't here last week or if you haven't recently read James chapter 2, I think most of us would likely not include this one in it. The most serious sins that you can think of. Well, in God's providence, it's no mistake here then that we have these set of verses before us. But here to make clear that if that sin isn't in your list, it's still a very serious sin. And so they're here to make clear the seriousness of partiality. The seriousness of partiality. And so we saw that. We saw the serious nature of partiality last time. Perhaps awakening us to the extent of partiality's devilish impact. And that's no exaggeration. We saw that is exactly what it does as it is lived out and expressed from our hearts, into our words, into our lives, and into the world. From concentration camps to abortion clinics, we see the dreadful effects of partiality. And so we saw that, and we also saw the outlandishness of partiality that it would be among us, among you. But this is simply not to be. It contradicts the Lord of glory. Chapter 2, verse 1. It is judging with evil thoughts. Chapter 2, verse 4. It dishonors what God honors. Chapter 2, verse 
6, it makes worldly distinctions that harm others, that harm fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and it contradicts the gospel. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. And so James, he said all of that last time. And so in order to further show its seriousness here, James, he turns to the law. Yet as you look at these verses, it becomes apparent that we need some clarification here, don't we? I mean, we have the law, the law, the law. I mean, what, what are you talking about here by the royal law, verse 8, the law, verse 9, and the law of liberty, verse 12? I mean, are these all the same? Are they all different? I mean, what are we talking about here, James? And so we need some clarification here. And so let's look at each of these then in turn. So the first one. The royal law is the command of the king. Is the command of the king. And so here with the royal law, James, he is referring to loving your neighbor as yourself. So of course, you know that well if you have been in the church. This isn't new to you, this command. It's not the first time that we have seen it in Scripture. It's given specifically in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 through 18. Now, you'll also notice in those verses, partiality is also addressed there. And so it says, There in Leviticus 9, 19, or Leviticus 19, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall be, uh, righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. I just want you to hear that. Because as we go about doing some of these things, who is telling you not to do them? I am the Lord. He is. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so there it is. Love your neighbor as yourself, says the Lord. Yet in seeing this, this isn't what makes it royal exactly. The same command that we see given in Leviticus 19, it is reiterated again by who? Jesus. And then we see it over and over and over again in the New Testament, reiterated again and again and again. Now, when Jesus reiterates this in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has been doing something throughout the Gospel up to that point. He has been saying again and again and talking about 
again and again the kingdom of heaven. And not just that. But if you think that Matthew chapter 1 was a waste, why all those genealogies? Well, this one was born of David. And so Matthew is saying loudly and clearly, the king has come, and that king is Jesus Christ. And so when he comes to Matthew 22, the king is speaking here when he says in verses 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There we are again. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so from our love for God, because if you know God, you will love others from our love for God, even as 1 John talks about, Because we love Him, we love one another. And so, if you don't love one another, there is something wrong at the very foundation of your heart. Because it means you have something wrong with your love for God. Which is what John says in 1 John. And so it's royal then. It's royal in this sense that it is reiterated by our King. And He's calling every single one of us to love one another. And so it's influence over us. It's influence over you and the Christian life. It is by no means to be small, but it is to be definitive. It flows through and it is to flow into every aspect of all that we do in Jesus Christ. I could say more there, but we're not. So that's the royal law. Second, we see the law then is the Mosaic law. So verses 9 through 11. And so it's used that way there. This is similar to Paul. We just walked through all of Galatians recently. And it's similar to how he speaks of the law in Galatians chapter 3. And so Old Testament law is in view here, perhaps, as some have said, even in light of like a law that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so in that then, we see the example James gives here. So if a person doesn't commit adultery but does murder, they've broken the whole thing. And so why is he saying that? Well, he's saying that, you know, someone may be thinking, well, I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm not really that bad, right? I mean, that's where he's going with this, right? Well, you may be saying to yourself, well, I, you know, I, I'm pretty good in that, you know, I haven't committed adultery, but I've, I've murdered someone. So if a person doesn't commit adultery but does murder, they've broken the whole thing. They become guilty of all of it, as James 
says here in verse 10. Now, James, he isn't just picking like two commandments out of the air here. These expressly relate to loving others and love not being exemplified in our actions, right? Not being exemplified in our hearts towards others, which left unchecked, even with like partiality, like concentration camps, abortion, and so on, it may well lead to murder. If we haven't already murdered someone in our hearts, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, right? The anger towards someone, you've already murdered them. And so that's second. Third, see the law of liberty is the law of the gospel. This isn't the first time that we've seen this phrase here in the letter of James. We saw it back in chapter 1, verse 25. And so what is this? This is the gospel and all that the gospel calls you to be and all that the gospel calls you to do. Now you heard that right. To do. Flowing from faith in Christ, what do we do? We begin looking like Christ. We follow Christ. Because He changes us. He's made us new, so we're not going to just be the same we were before, but we will be different. As in, we'll take up His command to love Him and to love one another. We'll take up His command to be known by our love for one another. John 13, right? 36-37. And we'll see no contradiction with Jesus saying in John 14-15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's no problem there. And we have no problem with that whatsoever. Flowing from the gospel, he changes us, he transforms us, and he has given us new hearts. And what do new hearts do? They go out as transformed by Jesus Christ into the world as disciples of the Lord of glory. And so there are the three uses of the law that he gives here. And then, devastatingly, we see partiality breaks all of it. Breaks all of it. It defies the royal law. It breaks the whole law. And it contradicts and goes against the gospel, the law of liberty. And so we see then just how serious partiality is here. Partiality is not a minor concern for us within the body of Christ. Racism, genocide, abortion, each of these stand contrary to every single one of these. The royal law, the law, 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one. And so this is clear. As we're considering the devastating seriousness of partiality, this is who it is against. Partiality sins against God. Sins against God. So behind each of these, the royal law, the law and the law of liberty is who? They weren't just thrown out there by men. God is behind all of those. So partiality, it is not impersonal. It sins against others, but primarily It sins against the living God of the universe. So it is not mild. It is not neutral. It is not innocent. And it is not a small thing. Especially because partiality arises from your heart. From your heart. So as we're hearing all this, We need to personalize this for ourselves this morning. Now, it is easy to identify partiality in others, isn't it? As we had our home group last week, it was so easy to do that, to point out where we see partiality. But to address it in our own hearts, now that is another thing altogether. Yet this is exactly what God is calling us to do this morning. And ironically, if we miss this point, we've missed the very thing that God is after. He wants your and my heart to be changed. He wants you to ask, not is there partiality in him or her or them, is there partiality in me? He doesn't want you going and looking at everyone else. He wants you to look at you. Let's be careful here of distancing ourselves from all of this, which is exactly what is easy to do. it's, It's them over there who are doing these things. It's that church over there who's doing these things. But God is not calling us to do that. He's calling us to look at us. And so what about us? That's what we're to ask. What about you here in Haven Baptist Church? Not in other churches in our area. Forget about all of them and think of you and us. That's what we're to do. Now there's another aspect to this as well, isn't there? As you look there and you ask God to examine your heart, what you might find there is you might find a fearful thing. You might find out that you have broken the law. 
that you are a sinner, that you don't know this Savior. Well, friend, if that grieves you here this morning, the answer isn't for you to say, no, no, I didn't like his message this morning because whatever was going on in here, it made me feel bad, and I'm just never coming to church again. I don't like that feeling. I'm just going to find ways to discount the Bible and Christianity and totally avoid it altogether. That's, what's, that's not what you're being called to do this morning. What you're being called to do is to see that the Spirit of God is at work in your heart, calling you away from the lies and calling you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's there in seeing that, that that feeling, that grief, that conviction of heart and soul... And admitting that that is true, that you have broken the whole law, that you are a sinner, that you will find the answer isn't more effort on your part. It's not running any more. It isn't hiding from the truth. It's looking to a person. It's looking to Jesus Christ to save you and to him alone. Because today is the day of salvation. And now is the time for you to cry out to the Lord who made you for mercy. Don't go elsewhere. Go to Christ. And you will receive mercy. And so having seen this then, having seen the seriousness of partiality, this leads us to see next the seriousness of mercy. The seriousness of mercy. Now as believers, this is all we know, right? I mean, we are here because of mercy, period. I mean, hopefully none of us are looking at our spiritual pedigrees and thinking there's anything there whatsoever. All we see before us, the only reason I'm here is mercy, is the grace of God in Christ. That's the only reason you're here. And so we live by mercy. Now, it might not seem this way, but for the lost also, who are going about their day right now, walking through the streets of your neighborhoods and of the neighborhoods here, going through the cities of our nation, perhaps driving down the road right now, passing our church, as they are living out their lives right now, they are daily living and breathing daily mercies. Why do we say that? Well, I could go into a lot of reasons why we say that, but one specific reason. Jesus has not come yet. He could return at any moment. But the fact that he has not is an expression of God's 
present mercy on every single person alive. More time for you driving down the road in front of Haven Baptist Church. More time for your coworker, for your family member. More time for the lost and more time for us to urgently go and declare the merciful good news of the gospel to them. And so here, James, he is magnifying God's great mercy in the gospel to further emphasize what we are being called to do and what we are being called to be. So in view of this, he shows us here in verse 12 how your words and your life matter. Your believer words and life matter. Now, everyone's words in life matter, but especially so, he is addressing you if you profess faith in Christ this morning. This is why he says in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You are to reflect the gospel in your Life, your words are to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think that words don't matter, I think we've talked about this some already in James. But if you're still not convinced, well, we have James 3 coming. Chapter 3. But consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 36 through 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. For all those words you say, even the idle ones, even the careless ones, you, a believer, will give account of each of those on the day of judgment. Now, what do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, your emails that you've sent out, every one of them, your texts, your social media posts, what you say in secret, how you speak of others, It's not unnoticed. We don't know what you say. But that doesn't matter. Because God knows what you say. He's heard every single word. He knows you in and out. He knows them in and out. They're all known by the Lord of the universe. And so James is making clear that a gospel judgment is coming. A gospel judgment is coming. And this is what he says here. And this is what he is saying. And it's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He's not joking. <laughs> like, well, no, I mean, you know, 
you know, you know me by faith, but I didn't really mean that of you. There's no inconsistency here. If you truly understand the gospel, you know that it is not ineffective. The gospel is effective. It will change all of those things in your life. So when God saves a man or a woman or a child, their heartbeat begins thumping for the first time. Their eyes see, their ears hear life. And that life, gospel life, it goes out from them and it lives and breathes in everything they do. Not perfectly by no means. We are banking everything on Jesus Christ. Every moment by faith. And that is why you'll be different. Is because of that. We are banking everything on Jesus Christ. And so it is that Jesus, he says in Matthew 7. Fearful words. 721 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Notice that. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Breaking the royal law, the law, and the law of liberty. Living a life of lawlessness. Even as you do all those things. But the one who knows him is the one who does the will of his Father who is in heaven. Or consider Paul here in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. He writes this. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and mortality... He will give an eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Whereas Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So flowing from the gospel, what will believers look like? Well, James has a lot more to say about that next week. (laughs) But they'll look like they're alive. They'll look like the gospel. Cross-bearing, self-denying, love-extending, by faith obeying. So 
So what awaits those who are living a merciless, fruitless profession? A merciless judgment. So let's consider this. Consider this. Consider his merciless judgment. And that's hard to fathom, isn't it? I mean, this is what it says. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Oh my, right? Merciless judgment. Nothing is restrained. Lives of partiality that lack gospel love will be like that. They'll be like that man that Francie read about a moment ago. What was he like? Do you remember the man in the parable of Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35? He was forgiven an enormous debt. A debt comparable, if it was in today's terms, to $2 billion. The man was forgiven much, an absolutely insurmountable amount. And yet he goes to his servant, who owes him by comparison hardly anything at all, something akin to $4,000 a today, and he gives no mercy. The one who had his billion dollar debt forgiven will not forgive, will show no mercy. So you see the inconsistency. James is simply pointing this out. (laughs) He's pointing out the inconsistency of partiality among believers. As one pastor said rightly, he that demands mercy and shows none ruins the bridge over which himself is to pass. And so consider yourselves. Consider James's words here this morning. He's not doing what we sometimes do. He's not speaking idle, careless words here. These are true words. They are the words of God. For us today. So may it be. That you would not be of those sort. Who will be surprised at the merciless judgment. That they will face. Not with some imaginary God that we have made up. But with the living God over all things. With him who made you. Who loves you. Who sent his son for you. Rather, may it be instead that you and I would rejoice and live in view of and according to the incredible gospel mercy we have. According to gospel mercy. So go and rejoice in the truth that mercy triumphs over judgment. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the mercy you know and you have experienced. And go then, gladly, denying self 
as bitterness or anger and all these things. You put them away. You go and love one another. Not in your power, but because you're looking by faith to Christ as your life. Go and do away with partiality and face it down in your hearts. Cast it out and be done with it. It isn't to be among us. Don't just talk about mercy. Show it. Don't just talk about forgiveness. Extend it. Don't just know the gospel. Embrace it. What a merciful demeanor. What a merciful life we're being called to as believers in Jesus Christ. And so in view of such incredible, bountiful, lavish mercy, let the incredible mercy you have experienced be unchained in your life. Go and live according to the law of liberty. Let it affect your heart. Weep and rejoice over it. Let it sweep across your life like fresh water. Let it sweep away all bitterness and anger and hate. Let it turn your mourning into dancing and let the reality of the gospel go out from you into your life and how you treat one another. And by the grace of God, let your life be a gospel life. Let it be a life lived in view of such lavish mercy that you have experienced in Christ. Because why? That $2 billion debt of sin has been forgiven you. And so you look at it and you see the incredible grace and mercy of God and your life has changed forever and you go out and show grace, mercy, and proclaim that grace and mercy to all and to everyone until he takes you home. So go And live in accord with such wondrous love as this in view of the deep, deep love of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do rejoice. We are amazed at your incredible mercy that you have shown us, how lavishly you have given it to us. And so we pray, Lord, in thanks. We praise you this morning. We rejoice in you. We rejoice in your Son, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our life. He is our portion. And so, Lord, help us to go out from here to be merciful people, to be a merciful, forgiving, loving, gracious people, that as we go out, people would see the love of Christ in us. They would see the love that we have for one another. And they would ask, what in the world is going on here? 
That is not what the world gives. But it's what you give. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to consider ourselves here in our words and how we talk to our spouses, our children, as we consider what kind of mercy and love we are showing them, what kind of love and mercy we're showing one another. Lord, we long to be like Christ. And we know that that is a prayer you will answer. Not the prayer we were praying, O oh Lord, glorify my name, glorify my will, make much of me and my job, make much of me and all I do. But when we pray, make much of you and your son, Lord, you'll answer that. May that be the prayer of our hearts this morning, the prayer of this church. And any here who don't know Christ, may it be their prayer that they would trust and repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and run to the Lord who's ready to extend mercy to them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.